All right, guys, welcome back to Young and Successful. Um, I'm here with Jackson. We are Skyping today. He's at his office. I'm at mine. We have busy lives. Things are crazy. So this was supposed to go up yesterday. We apologize. Um, things just kind of got out of hand, got a little bit crazy. Our lives, like I said, are just a little crazy right now. So this is episode seven. Today, we're going to be doing a Q&A. Some of you guys sent in some questions uh, to Jackson on his Twitter account. So we're going to answer some of those questions the best we can. Um, so yeah, we're just going to pick out a select few questions that we want to answer and kind of go from there. Perfect. Yep. So here we go. Uh, let's just jump right into it. Throughout the uh, question, I said, all right, we're doing a Q&A for the podcast this week. What questions do you have regarding business or entrepreneurship? Got some really good questions. So um, the first one here is, I'm a student at university and planning to open my own business. I have the capital to do so, but I have no idea when and how to start. So I wanted a little more clarity on this one. I asked what type of business, and then it's at Cherry Fields is the person, uh, said, I want to open a cafe. Nothing big, but a small one around my neighborhood because there aren't many. So I'll, I'll kind of jump into this one. Um, I don't have a lot of experience opening a cafe or anything in the food services industry, um, but I would follow two things. Um, kind of two people in my network that I know of have started restaurants or cafes. The first one, there was a girl in the town that I went to college in. Um, she started a juice bar and it, you know, kind of go in, they make cold pressed juice, um, juice, bottles of juice. They make acai bowls that, you know, kind of a health uh, kick. And basically the way that she did this was she had an assignment to create a business plan. And she had noticed that there was a kind of a health fad uh, going on in the city, but there was no juice bar, juice cleanse bar in the area. So she spent probably a month or two writing a business plan. And if you don't know how to write a business plan, there are a million different formats of business plans online. So you can just kind of download a template and then kind of start plugging away, doing the research. She, um, spent a lot of time creating the business plan, went through the target market, the demographics, the cost, the licenses that you will need. I know in the food services industry, at least in the US, you have to have food handling permit and things like that. You have to have certain standards of cleanliness. So she went through and did all the research. She found the location and then she presented the business plan in her college class. And it actually turned out to be such a great idea that she was able to find an investor. It sounds like this individual on Twitter has the capital, um, so you probably don't need a business partner or you know an investor. But because of the uh, thorough business plan, it kind of just detailed the plan of attack. Uh, they opened it up. I think that she ended up dropping out of college and runs the juice bar, and it's very very successful. It's very popular. Their social media strategy is kind of blowing up. Um, so they found the network, and um, they were able to kind of take advantage of the the need. For this juice bar. So I know that that's not exactly a cafe, but I would recommend going through a similar process. Start out with the business plan, do all of the market research, make sure that it's something that is needed in your community, and then just pull the trigger and go. Um, as far as the business side, you'll need the business license, you'll need to secure the contract for the building, you know, look into things like food handling permits, you know, what you need to do for that area, and then just go for it. Yeah, <clears throat> I think that's great. My two cents is if you haven't, 
If you haven't worked in a cafe before, I would suggest doing that before starting your own business at, you know, starting your own cafe. Um, Reason being is I think it's important to have experience to see what the customers want, to see maybe what that cafe you're working at lacks that you could bring to the table um, and gaining that critical experience because it's going to be hard to know what to do or how to run that business if you've never been around that business before. So that's something that I would also suggest doing. And like Jackson said, I mean, if you already have the capital, you might not need a partner. But if you are looking for a partner, find someone that brings something to the table that you don't already bring to the table and then partner up with that person if you're looking yeah, for a partner. Yeah, you know, I think that's a great idea. Um, another thing that I would mention, there's a book called Franklin's Barbecue. Um, there's a guy named Aaron Franklin. Uh, oh, he runs probably the most successful barbecue joint in Austin, Texas. And he has a book that where he kind of goes into detail. Starting out, he taught himself how to cook, and now he runs the most successful barbecue um joint in Austin, Texas. He's won awards. So he kind of goes through his journey. I would recommend reading that. It was eye-opening to me of, you know, kind of the risks that you have to take, make sure you're willing to do it. And it probably is um, applicable to you starting out in the cafe. I don't know if it, you're going to be cooking or what you want to be doing, but, you know, make sure you've got the skills necessary to run a cafe, you know, the restaurant industry, and then the business side, make sure you've got a plan of attack there and maybe partnering up, having somebody tackle one of those other areas. Um, so you can focus on your specialty would work too. So I like that. Perfect. Okay. Next question. Um, this is from my friend, Danny Verkich, how to become relevant in the internet economy and start something with little to no capital. Sweet. I've been there, done that. <laughs> yeah. I think this one's perfect for Tyler. Um, all right. So it's, it's a little hard to say, cause I don't know if Danny is selling a product or a service. Do you, do you know Jackson? I know a little bit of background on this one. Yeah, he actually is um, venturing into uh, owning an advertising agency. Oh, oh, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Okay, so here's here's what I would say. Here's what I would do. Um, to become relevant, first off, you have to obviously do something to become relevant. So start producing content, start producing work that you can show off to people online that really shows who you are. Um, it's one thing to say, Hey, we can provide these services, but if you can really prove, if you have a proven record of providing those services, it's a lot easier. So I've had a lot of people actually ask me this question, you know, pretty, pretty recently saying, I want to start my own social media marketing agency or my own, you know, video production company. What do I do? And here's what I suggest to everyone that's trying to start off in this world. I would find businesses local to you that are maybe struggling with their social media, maybe don't have any presence at all. Um, you know, whether it's their social media or just advertising in general, find those people, offer to do it for them to take care of that, you know, their social media, take care of their video production, whatever it is, and do it for cheap. I mean, unfortunately, that's just what you're going to have to do at first. You can't charge premium prices until you are able to charge premium prices, until you have that experience. So offer to do it for cheap, you know, whether that's 500 bucks a month, whether that's a thousand dollars a month, I'll let you decide. But Offer to do it in a way that's not going to cripple the business, that they're going to feel comfortable paying you that kind of money um, where it's like, okay, that's not that big of an investment, not that big a deal. Start working with those people, find those people and start gaining your experience that way. Um, Producing content for them, proving that you can do good. And then from there, you can use that to kind of catapult yourself into the next level, being able to charge premium prices, being able to really go after the clients that you're looking to go after. But I think it's important to gain that experience. And there are so many businesses around you that need the help. I mean, you would be just amazed how many people need help with advertising, how many need help, you know, with their marketing. And by 
being able to find those companies and kind of say, hey, I can come in, I can help you with it. I know you're too busy to do it. So let me, you know, take those reins and let me take care of that. Um, There's so many. I mean, I would just say start off with five or six, find five or six companies that need it. You charge a thousand bucks per company, you're making five or six thousand dollars a month right there. Just right off the bat. Perfect. Okay, it's so not this, as hard as you think. This leads perfectly into uh, his second question. So uh, let's say that he does that. It starts, you know, uh, turning a profit. Everything is successful. He can jump into that premium pricing. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you know when to scale your business and where to scale? So how did you jump from doing that to, you know, signing your lease, hiring people, going yeah. full time? Um, at what point did you feel comfortable scaling? I think that's somewhat a personal question because I mean, I think it's going to be up to the individual when they feel comfortable. But I think the point when you have to do it, no matter what, is when you can't take on any more work, you physically can't do it. Um, There has to be a point where you say, I am completely maxed out and I can't do anymore. So obviously I have to hire someone else to help me with this. Um, And that's kind of what it was for me. You know, I had, I had, we have, I had people working with me right off the bat, but there, I mean, we just hired another video production guy that's going to be starting next month because it's to the point where we cannot handle the production ourselves. It's just too much at this point. I'm working 16, 17 hour days at times. Um, so we just have to hire someone to take on some of that work because there's no other choice. Yeah. I like that a lot. So there's also the kind of internal scaling. So in my business, a lot of um, my routine and the way I trade and the way I market can be optimized. So what I do before I hire somebody else or outsource is I make sure that my uh, methods of working are completely optimized. Mm -hmm. So I cut out anything that's unnecessary. At that point, once I know I have an optimized day and an optimized routine, if there's too much for me to handle, then I outsource. And um, another way to look at it is, you know, I know where the areas that my time is most profitable, where I spend my time, I know the areas that are most profitable for me. So if I find myself doing other mundane tasks that aren't profitable to the business, I can hire somebody else to do those things where I, and then I can focus on the areas that are more uh, profitable that where my time is better spent. Yeah. So I like that. And especially like, so say you're to the point where you're looking at your financials, you're not sure if you can hire someone, you know, don't ever put yourself in a position that's going to cripple you by hiring someone. Um, make sure that you can cover their salary and that you will still be continuing to make money as a business. You're not just, you know, stretching yourself thin. Um, so make sure you're at a financial point. And maybe if you're not at, you know, that point where you can actually afford it, maybe do something like Jackson saying, figure out where can I optimize my time? Am I spending too much time on certain things that aren't making me money? What can I do differently to, you know, maximize that time? So it kind of comes down to to those things for me, at least when I'm hiring, that's kind of what I look at. Perfect. So this actually leads perfectly into the next question. And Danny had three questions. So how, how do you pique people's interest to work for you as a startup without much incentives, without many incentives, uh, but you still are looking for quality employees? So side note, because of the launch of this podcast, Tyler has had uh, many people kind of reach out to him wanting to work for him. Three people, in fact, yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's actually kind of, um, I guess, peaking interest um, for these potential employees. So how do you do that without being, you know, a jumbo sized ad agency? What have you done that has attracted people to you? I think it's about creating a culture that is attractive to people. So 
I think here we're trying to build a culture where we actually enjoy coming to work every day. We enjoy what we do and we're aligning ourselves with clients that we enjoy working with as well as, you know, all of the employees here love working with as well. So I think it's about creating the right culture. Um, yeah, obviously as a startup, you can't afford everything like, you know, paying for everyone's medical insurance, stuff like that. You don't have those kind of benefits, but I don't think people are always looking for those kind of benefits. People want to be able to love what they're doing, enjoy what they're doing, make a decent wage. Obviously they need to be able to afford to live. Um, but they also, I think something that people have liked about our company is we are growing quickly and they want to be part of the bigger picture when it becomes a bigger picture. So I think they like to, they see that, that potential and by getting in early, it might benefit them in the long run anyways. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, imagine jumping into Facebook and you know, exactly. when it was just around for, for in the first few years. So, um, I'm, yeah, sh- okay, I'm sure perfect. those first people at Facebook too, they probably didn't make huge wages at first. You know, they're probably working around the clock, but look where they're at now. <laughs> it paid off yeah. for sure. And that's kind of the the idea of the internet economy, right? You can create yeah. something um, that has a big potential, it's disruptive, and it can turn into something very large. So, so I, like I, want, I want to go back real quick to his first question too. So I talked about services. That's how I started my company um, to become relevant as a service. But there's also the other side where people that are selling products. So if you were, if you were a business selling products, what I would suggest is first off, I think the most undervalued form of marketing nowadays, the easiest way to market is through Facebook and Instagram ads. So if I were selling a product, just getting started, I would definitely hit it hard on social media, find as many people, get in front of as many people as possible with that product. It's going to be your cheapest form of advertising, but also market to people. So like for Jackson, for example, Jackson has a pretty big following on Instagram, Twitter, all those. I would align myself with myself with people like Jackson, have him test out my product, have him review the product. Maybe I give him a free product for doing so. Maybe I pay him a little bit of money for doing so. You work it out with that person, but find people, maybe not with massive followings because you're, they're going to obviously require a lot of money to do so, but find these people that have 50,000 followers, hundred thousand followers, whatever that don't charge as much, but they have a good following, have good engagement on their social medias and get it to those people so they can review it for you and get it in front of their audience. That's how I would approach it if I had a product starting off with little capital to no capital. Yeah, that worked great. I've seen it. I've been a part of that. Um, that's a great way to kind of grow it. And it, it's almost organic, right? Um, they can integrate it into their content and it works. Okay. Um, let's see here. What are some Oh, this is uh, Sarah Boone, S Boone underscore 23 on Twitter. What are some tips you have for a 20-year-old to gain and maintain financial stability, uh, not just on a business level, but in life, so on a personal level? Um, I think that this one becomes very simple. It's about budgeting. Uh, Set a budget and stick to it. Do not use credit cards unless you have the discipline to pay your credit card off at the end of the month. Um, Also, make sure that you are planning. So contributing to a retirement account of some sort. Um, in my career, I have never seen anybody fail to reach retirement and a moderate level of financial success if they have planned. The people that fail at it and end up working their entire lives and have kind of paycheck to paycheck mentalities, the people that are in that category simply just fail to make a plan and they do not have the discipline to do it. And then that works on a business level as well. If you're running a business, you've got to make sure you've got you know 90 days of working capital on hand. You've got to make sure you're covering the expenses and the salaries, not taking on a, a crazy amount of debt. Um, that can be a good thing in, in uh, business. Just make sure that you've got the right types of debt. There's good debt, there's bad debt. And then stick to the plan, maintain discipline, and it will work out in the long run. 
Yeah, I mean, I wholeheartedly agree with that. You just have to plan. It, yep. It's hard to save. It's hard to do anything if you don't know what's going on with your money. I mean, so plan, really pay attention to what's going on, budget, like Jackson said. There's so many apps and things out there that will help you do all of that. I mean, yeah, we exactly. live in a world where it's so simple. So find some of those apps. I mean, there's apps out there that will tell you exactly how many like monthly subscriptions you have. So you know, okay, why am I paying $10 a month for something I don't use? I mean, you'd be surprised how many things you're just paying for that you never even use anyways. So I mean, yeah. finding those kind of things, cutting that out and just figuring out, okay, what, where's my money going? Where do I need to cut back? And just budgeting property properly, I think is going to help you with that for sure. Perfect. Okay. So this one is from Aaron F. Schneider on Twitter. As somebody starting their career in investments, what advice do you have for success in the industry? And then he says, thank you for all your insight. So take it away, Jackson. All right, Aaron. Thanks. Uh, starting your career in investments, what I would do is I would make sure you understand the business cycle. So I would research the business cycle and then I would research market history. Make sure you know what caused growth periods in the market, what caused uh, recessions and bear markets. I would make sure that you know how economic indicators play into um, financial markets. I would make sure you understand very, very deeply the role that central banks play in um, in the markets, and then I would make sure you understand correlations. So let's say that the Federal Reserve does something, they implement a policy where they are going to raise interest rates. What forecast can you make for financial markets and investments um, based off of their policies? Then understand macroeconomics. I'm a big macro guy. So I want you to understand, for example, let's say that uh, there's been a drought in the United States what does that mean for Russian fertilizer producers? And how can you make money capitalizing on these certain macro events? So I would understand the macro picture um, and how that implement, what that means for certain financial markets. And then I would understand the micro. Make sure you understand you know, certain trend lines, certain um, business things, what's going on in certain sectors and industries. And then you've got a clear picture of the way that the world is moving. You can capitalize on that. You can make long-term investments. You know where to put money for the short term. And then watch that kind of on a day-to-day -day basis. I would kind of recommend reading every morning. My daily routine is I read Zero Hedge. I read Bloomberg. I read Business Insider. I get on Twitter. Financial Twitter is a really great place to uh, kind of get information very quickly. And then just stay on top of that. It's overwhelming at first, but the more that you learn and research and, and understand, you kind of just start putting the pieces together and it works. And all of a sudden you wake up and you're like, oh, look, the oil price is down 3%. This is going to implement or this, this will do certain things to certain currencies and equity markets and blah, blah, blah. So you'll understand how to put the pieces together. And then once you've got that overview, it makes financial planning relatively simple. So Great. um yeah, it's a, it's a big world to conquer, but if you just start and you don't give up, pretty soon you know what you're doing and you'll be better at it than probably 90% of people. Um, so this, yeah, any input there, Tyler? Nope, no input for me. I think it sounded great. I have yeah, one, I have one here. This is a yes or no question for you. It says, my dream job is to become an advisor. Is it beneficial to get CFP, CFA designations now if I'm not currently in finance? Okay, great question. So CFP is the Certified Financial Planner and the CFA is the Chartered Financial Analyst. The CFP is more applicable to advisors. I would highly recommend getting that. You need to have your bachelor's degree and a certain amount of industry experience to get the CFP. 
Um, but that goes over all types of investment management, retirement planning, estate planning, insurance needs. So I would recommend if you're going to be an advisor looking at the CFP, the CFA is if you're going to take the analyst route. So if you want to work at a big bank or a hedge fund and you want to be a trader, I would recommend the CFA. But because the person, this is Victoria, said she wanted to be an advisor, I would recommend the CFP. The CFA is, uh, the, well, I would say the CFP is kind of like an MBA. In, turn, in the sense that it goes maybe like two inches deep, but a mile in it's a mile broad, right? The CFA is probably very, very narrow, but it goes very deep into the analytical side of finance. So, um, as an advisor, I would recommend the CFP. But that being said, if you have the CFA, you'll pretty much have a job anywhere. Um, the CFA is very, very grueling and daunting. So, keep that in mind. ROI, right, on your time spent. The CFP is easier. Um, there are more CFPs in the world of finance than there are CFAs. Um, and it's interesting, a lot of the people that I know that have CFAs probably wouldn't go back and do it uh, <laughs> if they had to because it takes like four years and the, the tests are grueling and terrible. So, you can count me out right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, so basically two different purposes between the two. So depending on yeah. what route you want to take in life, it's going to be the one that you decide. Yeah, and Victoria wants to be an advisor, so look at the CFP. There's also other ones, um, chartered CHLU or things like that. So just kind of search what advisors have. What I like to do is I like to just get on, you know, let's say uh, you like following um, Barry Reholtz or whatever out of, uh, out of New York. Go to Reholtz Wealth Management, pull up the bios, see what they've done, and then just set a goal and say, okay, this, you know, the, one of the most famous guys on Twitter is Downtown Josh Brown. Awesome guy. He has CFP, right? So certain things just follow kind of in the footsteps of people that you like. Cool. Let's see here. Um, how did you know? This is this one is from Samantha Gass. Uh, how did you know you were financially ready to buy a home? Hmm. Good question. <laughs> um, for me personally, I think it was just to the point where me and my wife had saved some money. Um, we were at the point where we were looking at it and honestly the rent that we were paying was almost the same price as the mortgage we were going to pay for the house that we were looking at. So for, for us, it just made sense. We'd rather invest in something, you know, long-term than throw our money away with rent. However, if you're not in a financial situation where you can, you know, commit to a long-term thing like a home, I wouldn't suggest just jumping right into it. But, uh, if you feel like you have a stable job, you have a stable income, you feel comfortable, maybe you have some money saved up. There's a lot of unexpected things with a home when you buy too. I mean, you have to put in a fence, a yard, whatever oh it is. Gosh, There's a lot cool. of things you don't realize that cost a lot of money. So be prepared for that. I mean, do your research, know what it's going to cost you feel like, okay, we're in a point where we can afford it. It's not going to hurt us. And that's, that's what we did. Basically. That's how I decided, Hey, it's time to buy a home. We want to be somewhere more permanently and feel like we're investing our money towards something and not just throwing it away with rent. Yep. I agree with that. Um, I'm a little more skeptical than most people in terms of making long term debt decisions. So I had to make sure that I was completely ready. If I lost my job, would I be able to get a new job? Do I have enough cash on hand to pay my mortgage for a year in case I can't find a job, things like that. So just make sure you're very, very comfortable and don't buy too much house, right? Yes. The temptation for yes. a lot of people is to buy a big home um, because interest rates are so low. You can finance a jumbo mortgage. Uh, be conservative in your financial decisions. There's nothing wrong with 
having to upgrade your house in 15 years when mm -hmm. you're the CEO of a company. Uh, but there is something wrong when you're working a nine to five, you may get laid off when the company downsizes and you've got a $500,000 mortgage. Absolutely. So just be careful there. Yeah. Even if you can afford the monthly payment, be very careful. And I would recommend watching the movie, The Big Short, um, to learn what happens when people get too uh, burdened down by debt and interest rates go up. So understand mortgages and interest rates before you sign on anything. Um, understand property taxes, things like that. Perfect, I agree. All right, guys, so I have to take off. My wife has a, an appointment. She's pregnant right now, so uh, she'll kill me if I miss it. So I'm actually going to take that. off. <laughs> Jackson's going to continue answering a few more questions here, and then, um, yeah, that'll be it. So I'm out of here, and I'll see you guys next week. Perfect. Thanks, Tyler. All right, everybody, so um, one more. This is Summer Shandy uh, on Twitter. How to start investing in Bitcoin and how to, how to tell when the market will start going down. Um. I'm going to be brutally honest with you on this one. Do not uh, invest in anything if the question you ask is how to tell when the market will start going down. Um, I would open up a paper trading account and familiarize yourself with markets and trends before you invest any of your own money. Um, research it. Once you understand technical indicators, once you understand the fundamentals of investing, then um, then you can start trickling money into markets. Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is the most volatile market in the world um, by far. So I would recommend starting in a market that is not as volatile. Um, US equities is a good one. Start by looking at mutual funds or exchange traded funds, something that doesn't have a lot of volatility. Once you understand trends and the way that chart patterns work, and you can research that on YouTube. Um, there's a lot of you know good training on YouTube of technical analysis is what it's called. Once you have a decent grasp of that and you have some experience trading, then you can start trickling into cryptocurrencies. But it is the wild, wild west. There are a million different things. A lot of people have been trapped into Bitcoin by looking at good returns. You can lose it all. And I have known a lot of people that have lost a lot of money trading cryptocurrencies. So make sure you have a fundamental understanding of how markets work, why things work the way that they do, and then start working with US equity markets, um, something that's a little bit more predictable than the cryptocurrency. And then once you have a grasp on that, then start trickling into Bitcoin. You don't even have to have money to do it. You can start a paper trading account and practice, but I would say you need at least a year to two years of practice before you start investing your own money and trying to trade. Um, so do that, research it, and then once you've got that done, you'll be positioned very, very well for um, trading and investing, and, and you'll kind of understand what type of investing you want to do. Uh, the last question here is Michael Maurana. I probably butchered that. It's probably a Hawaiian name or from New Zealand or something. Um, and this is a great question to end on, how to find a mentor. Uh, I had a really great mentor when I was a kid. His name was Andy Tanner. He helped me out a lot. Um, finding a mentor is something that I would try to pursue very aggressively if you're young and just starting out. I still have mentors. Um, I would just listen to podcasts and email them, especially if you live in a big city. Just say, hey, can I pick your brain? Can I take you out to lunch? Can I come follow you? Can I ask you some questions? People love helping people, especially if you live in a big city. One of the things I did when I was in college is I would attend these lectures um, and they would bring people in and they would you know, a real estate investor or somebody who started a company and they would give a presentation about what they've done. 
after the class was over, I'd go up to him and I'd say, hey, I really like that. I've got some questions. Can I take you to lunch? You know, you spend 30, 40 bucks on lunch and you've got a mentor, you get their email. People love helping people, especially if you're young. So be aggressive in emailing, contacting people, tweeting at them, um, going up to them in person. They have something about the confidence of somebody that's willing to walk up to you, walk up to an individual and say, hey, I, I like what you do. Can you help me out? Um, and if you get rejected, who cares? They're not even going to remember who you are. Forget them. Find somebody else. There are millions of people out there that could help you. Um, so I like that one. Great question, Michael. Hopefully that makes a lot of sense. We went over some of these questions. I like this. Next week, we're going to have um, uh, an entrepreneur on the podcast and get his story. So it's a great episode. This is episode number seven. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hopefully this answered some of the questions. If you have more, feel free to tweet at us, and we can try to answer them. Um, like I said, this isn't perfect advice. This is just based off of Tyler and I's observations. Um, what's worked for us, what hasn't. So go ahead and go out there and be successful. Tweet us. Thank you, everybody. If you can, leave a review on iTunes. Um, that goes a really long way in helping the show get discovered on the iTunes platform. So thanks, guys. See you next week.